0: The recording has activated. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, everyone, to the Who is Satoshi podcast. This episode is on cypherpunks, what the hell they are, what they're doing, why it matters. So quick overview. Embarrassingly enough, I just found out what a cyberpunk is and about the whole movement a few weeks ago, and I've been reading up as much as I can on it, but it's pretty incredible. It's essentially a group of people who were libertarians and saw that the government, you know, they're afraid of this dystopian future that we've talked about all dystopias predict, where the government is this overarching controlling entity that takes away individual liberties from people in order to give them more safety and security or whatever the excuse is. And so these cypherpunks starting in the 80s realized as computers were coming out and then shortly following computers when the internet came out, they realized that these were tools that could be used by the government or by an individual. And their focus was to use them to empower individuals to have more privacy, more freedom, essentially to guarantee all of the essential like human values that they think humans deserve. Nailed it. Nice. Thanks, dude.
1: So you got this group of guys, these nerds who identify, well, maybe they finally watched you know Blade Runner and some other other sci-fi movies and they're like, holy shit, if we don't get a handle on this, we're going to be stuck in a pretty dark spot. In 20, 30, 100 years and so this group gets together in the 1980s out of the Bay Area and then it proceeds as in these email lists, the cypherpunk email lists. You've heard about this or we've heard about this with respect to uh, where Satoshi launched his code. He released it to the cypherpunk mailing list on SourceForge.net, I believe for where he posted the actual code but he was corresponding this whole time at least at the beginning with this group of people.
0: And that's another thing I had no idea of is that Satoshi is or either was in this movement the whole time or is like, he is a part of this movement. And people have been creating open source software, open source projects that a bunch of different groups have worked on just the the exact same way that Satoshi, you know, introduced the Bitcoin protocol to the, the mailing list, like you just said. And then he had other developers giving him feedback about, issues or whatever else that it might have. And so this is something that's been going on since the 80s. It's just that Satoshi released Bitcoin and Bitcoin has become mainstream. But the cypherpunk movement's been going on for 40 years.
1: Right. I'd, I'd call them like a little army. Right. And they had their this is like their first just overwhelming victory right? or maybe right. second or third. We wouldn't be talking about them if it weren't for Bitcoin. They would just be operating somewhere else, trying to work on things that provide anonymity, privacy online, that type of thing.
0: Well, I'm even upset that they've been around, like I said, since the 80s. I'm sitting here, don't want to give away too much info, late 20s maybe, give or take, you know, 5 or 10 years And I'm just now hearing about it and them and like what I consider to be one of the most important movements going on. And I heard about Bitcoin a year ago and I still didn't really, I've heard like references to cypherpunks, but I still had no idea like what it was or what it meant aside from people online that write code. I don't know.
1: Cypherpunks write code.
0: (laughs) Is that a quote from someone?
1: It's mildly famous. Would you say that the, the cypherpunk movement is it bigger than Bitcoin?
0: Dude, that's a big one. I mean, if you look at it in certain terms, Bitcoin is a subset of the cypherpunk movement. Like the cypherpunk movement existed, and then from the cypherpunk movement, it's like a parent-child relationship. <laughs> right. Bitcoin is a child of the cypherpunks. So I mean, yeah, the cypherpunk movement is bigger. I mean, when you think about that, it's it like gives me a lot of hope. This is just one product that's been produced that's open source and everything else by the cypherpunks. You look at the other products. I mean, we can, we can go back to the eighties, the little bit that I've read. You've got the Linux operating system. You've got pretty much any any open source project, Python. Uh, one of the ones that was a big deal in the 90s was the release of a encryption method. PGP? And PGP, yeah, it was released. It stands for Pretty Good Privacy. And the guy who created it just wrote up an encryption, sent Wait, it out. Pretty to Good what? Privacy.
1: Oh, privacy. What did you think I said? I just wasn't sure. Pretty- <laughs> Grow up, dude. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so he creates this encryption and then he sends it out for free to everyone on his mailing list, which after that, you know, it circulates even further. But before that, people's emails, you know, anyone could look at someone else's email because it wasn't encrypted or at least the government had the ability to look at other people's emails and things like that. And this essentially created a a secure way to
1: communicate over the Internet. Totally. And in the 90s, what I've read and heard about is... Encryption was protected as this munition, right? As this military-like weapon. But the cypherpunks, they think that everybody should be able to use it. There's no reason why the government should only be able to secure its own secrets. I should be able to secure my own secrets. If I want to have a private conversation with someone over the internet, I should be able to do that. So guess what? I'm going to take your encryption and your your different algorithms for that, and I'm going to release it to the world, whether that's on a paperback book or an email or like Adam Back wearing it on a shirt. And there's also a, a degree of, of like futility in trying to contain information. And I th- I'm not sure what they would stand for, but what, what I would say is I think it's an extremely unbalanced world that we're living in where the government can and big corporations can spy on you as much as they want without a warrant. And if it is a warrant, it's an expedited one. Oh, these people search these key terms. We're bordering on pre-crime them observing you like minority report and stopping you from doing something you intend to do according to them. So you have no privacy with regards to a lot of these corporations and the government. Some of that fault is yours. Some of it is the government's, I think. And then on the flip side of that, they have ultimate privacy. Think about a trial. Let's just use a famous couple that may have been pedophiles maybe be involved in intelligence agencies, may have done... International ma- child sex trafficking. Yeah, they might have had houses in New York and New Mexico and Florida, maybe even their own island. <laughs> and they may have been embroiled in the biggest scandal in history related to pedophiles and known hanging out with a ton of Hollywood, educational, and political elite. But guess what happens when they get put on trial? You don't see any of the pictures from their house. You don't get access to any of the information. Like, how do people not see this? When you have an imbalance, it's similar to the Second Amendment, where the power is completely shifted away from the individual and is on the hands of the government. Yeah, you brought up a few
0: interesting points. So, the funniest thing going back to encryption being considered by the US government as a munitions and arms. And so the guy who created it and it's it's this is I think apparent or or exists in like all the cypherpunks is this like reckless abandon for what the government says they can and can't do. So yeah. they've yeah, the government said that encryption for individuals, the the government is going to treat it as a munition or an arms. And this guy releases pretty good privacy, his, his encryption to this mailing list into the world and the government the US government charges him with distributing arms (laughs) he's a he's a weapons dealer right that's what they said dude they that's what they charged him with and then I don't know exactly what happened specifically with him but I know eventually the case was dropped the fact that this kind of thing is going on since the 80s, or I guess this case, the 90s, and it probably before that, it's just funny to see that other people identify the same issues that we see and so many people are talking about today, and they identified it 40 years ago. And they're doing a whole lot about it, starting 40 years ago, and probably starting before that, but... When we talk about the internet and computers, I think it's absolutely a tool for individuals.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my favorite Hal Finney quote, the computer can be used as a tool to liberate and protect people rather than control them. Yeah. Powerful shit.
0: So he's pretty much saying he understands what the government's going to try and do with the computers. Right. right, And artificial (laughs) intelligence and whatever else and the data. And it's to control people, but... It's like these cypherpunks are on a mission to combat that, what they know is coming.
1: And a big strain of this whole movement is also ignoring political action. We're not going to go to court and we're not going to argue about our rights. We're going to invent something or distribute something that makes what you're doing irrelevant. Oh, you want to spy on my web camera? All right. Well, I'm going to either make a honeypot or fill the security hole. (laughs) With what? (laughs) concrete dude patch up that (laughs) hole dude i mean we don't know exactly how it works but addressing the point the cypherpunks are finding a way to engineer a solution rather than try and campaign or try and influence or lobby people for a solution or even get
0: people into the government and say this is what you know we're fighting for in the government they're creating innovations technology that makes it so it's irrelevant what the law is or what the government says
1: right you don't even have to fight you just escape it's the same thing as bitcoin same idea he's not directly i mean he's calling out the banks but he's not directly going to war with the banks he's releasing his own code and people can opt into the new system and it's in everybody's self-interest to do so. I mean, one of the things that's been going on recently is this idea of these back doors into people's devices and accounts. So the idea recently there was an issue with, you know, Apple was going to, you know, hash the images on your phone and see if you had any child porn or something like that on it, you know, is to reduce the distribution of child porn and quote unquote, save the children. (laughs) Like, obviously, this is just a stepping stone to being able to like filter or search or categorize people based on their iMessages. Also, recently, a week, two weeks ago, there was this FBI document PowerPoint type thing released where it was showing the relative difficulty or ease in getting access to people's messages with like Telegram being like very hard to get. Whereas like iMessage, you could easily get it with a warrant or you know what I mean? And how rigorous are these warrants? probably not that rigorous. And is it admissible in court? You know what they probably do? They probably just use the tons of information that these giant internet megacorps have on you. And then they find every indicator to get you in the spot. They're using that for the investigation, or they're using that to compile evidence on you. And then they just catch something in real life that they'll put in court. And what? I, why I'm saying this? Why is this a problem? It's because it's clearly circumventing the intent of like the fourth and I would say second amendment. Second right to bear arms. Fourth. Tell the listeners who don't know. Well, I thought you could explain. It. You got it, dude. You're on a roll. Well, you know, you know the fourth amendment, don't you, Brant? Yes, dude. Everyone knows it. <laughs> 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 tell the listeners dude i know all 10 amendments what's number 8 well let's start with number 1 dude freedom of speech nice okay i got the second one right to bear arms no i said the second one already dude take the third and the fourth all right i got the third you got the fourth no third I've is done- quartering soldiers in their in your house fourth <coughs> all right i'm just being facetious fourth is protection against search and seizure, right? Yes. So it's basically course. saying you need a warrant in order to search someone. So I would say in that, you know, the founding fathers outlined that you have a right to privacy. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have phones at that time. But you could imply and extend that search amendment and, seizure, yeah. and that right to the digital age and say, okay, well, maybe it's not within the government's right to look into all this information. And yeah, I'm not going to deflect all responsibility from people because at the end of the day, like the cypherpunks, what you've got to do is you've got to just opt away from big tech you're doing part of it to yourself by signing up for these things
0: yeah i mean this kind of goes towards i think what we've talked about in a few episodes where we're emphasizing the fact that in the future everyone is going to need to be computer or software literate and how you know knowing how to write computer code and interact with computers and the internet and everything else is going to be it's going to be like reading writing speaking and then coding coding ability Because right now the cypherpunks are the ones that are masters of code and they're able to kind of fight this war for the rest of us. Which I'm grateful for, but I mean, yeah, I've got to learn to code better. And back to the very famous quote: "Cypherpunks write code."
1: That's it. So they also stress a big importance on obviously anonymity when using the internet, but also pseudonymity, 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 see anonymity. <laughs> they stress see an enemies and also reputation. So I found that pretty interesting because even though you're either anonymous, even though you may want the capability to be anonymous, you also want the ability to be pseudonymous online because that also kind of interplays with reputation. Bitcoin Twitter, for example, you know, people that have better reputation, you look to them for opinions or to filter out some of the noise even if day-to-day. you have no idea who they are. Even if you have no idea right. who they are, you just know their past takes. And if they are lining up with your principles, then you can, that 10% that you don't understand, you're more willing to trust them on that extra 10%. So I find that kind of interesting. I mean, do you think that by and large and a ways down the road, people are mainly going to be pseudonymous online? I actually
0: don't necessarily think that's the case. I think people that want to will be and people that are indifferent won't be. I think as we go more towards every dystopian novel that exists and the government, you know, wants more and more control and information over you and, and about you, you're gonna see more and more people shift to, you know, protecting all of their information, protecting their data, shifting towards privacy. But I think, you know, once that happens, it's kind of like this pendulum effect where, okay, we've got all these capabilities where you know no one's trying to screw with us anymore because they know it's infeasible. And so now you don't have to be as paranoid. I mean, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean I think there's a there's a war coming for the internet. And I think it's been tried with like net neutrality. And I think it's only going to heat up with the idea that you need to tie your daily identity to your online persona. And I think pseudonymity you got this, dude. I don't have this, dude. <laughs> I think fake names are important for the internet because, you know, just like the Founding Fathers, it allows you to disconnect it from your real identity, whether that's for safety reasons, like not being attacked or something like that. But it also is for appeals to authority and uh straw man and, you know, just character hit pieces that people have as well. Like yeah, ad hominem. Ad hom- that's what I was looking for. Ad hominem <laughs> attack. Another word I can't say. Yeah.
0: But. Yeah. So when you're talking about the Founding Fathers, you're referring referencing, like the Federalist Papers?
1: Yes. And the Anti-Federalist Papers. Yeah. The better ones. I would say so. More decentralized.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was another crazy thing. So when I was reading up about the, the cypherpunks and, you know, everyone's talking about decentralized finance right now and how that's a huge wave and it's so, you know, innovative and important and the decentralized ledger, right? Decentralizing things. This is something that the cypherpunks realized 20, 30 years ago trying to think of what the specific example was but it was a dude who created um oh it was it was to decentralize the mailing list Mm. So they didn't want to have, you know, one central shutdown, one point of failure, so that if, you know, this one th- server or whatever it was fails, then the entire mailing list is, you know, scrapped. So he he developed, I don't know the specifics, but essentially a decentralized way to distribute the mail, which is just incredible. Yeah, I consider it kind of to be a fact that decentralized systems are always better than centralized systems. And then I've realized through Twitter and social media and talking to other human beings that that's not like common knowledge or that's not necessarily a fact. A lot of people think it's the other way around, but...
1: Well, I'd say they're more costly. When you say they're more costly... No. They're not more costly.
0: They being centralized, decentralized systems are more costly than centralized systems?
1: Yeah, like there's more... It's more inefficient. It's a trade-off, right?
0: No, I, I mean, I disagree. That's a whole nother episode. If you want to touch on it real quick, we can.
1: Oh, no, I think I've got time.
0: The idea that... <laughs> I mean, the idea that because some, something is centralized, it's automatically more efficient. Whatever efficiency you gain, you lose in the fact that you can't trust it. So if you can't trust something, no matter how efficient it is, is irrelevant. So Or quote unquote efficient it is. Is that how efficient they say they are? You know, who's now who's doing the measuring? It's all too centralized and the whole thing is broken and doesn't work. You can't say that a centralized system is better. You just can't. I, I wasn't
1: saying it was better. I was well, just saying that what it's it sounded like. more efficient. efficient.
0: I don't know what the word better means then ha 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 (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's different things you can look at, right? Like, is it efficient? Is it secure?
0: Okay, give me one example of a system that is not better but more efficient if it's centralized.
1: Uh your web browser. So you have an you have a comparison between using Tor, which routes your internet searches in a decentralized manner between different Tor nodes and encrypts it in the end, right? Like a mega VPN, and then you have Google Chrome at the other end of the screen spectrum in google chrome it's able to function really easily you and you don't have issues with like plugins and stuff like that you use tor sometimes you're popping out of the internet in like siberia and then everything's in (laughs) russia you got to go up to the top change change language to english that's a clear example of something that is it's more convenient it's a trade-off of convenience versus privacy don't you think Sure, of course. Yeah, I would say
0: you're trading off convenience for privacy in that specific example.
1: But that's a lot of examples that we're talking about.
0: I mean, we can say that. The point I'm trying to make is that maybe, maybe the argument I'm really saying is because of the trust issue, a decentralized system will always be better than a centralized system, simply because of just that trust issue. Everything else is irrelevant.
1: I I agree with your point that it's better. I'm not trying to get into semantics here. I'm kind of using that as a stepping stone to say people don't use privacy practices like the cypherpunks do because it's difficult. You have to know a lot about computers and know a lot about cryptography to be able to use them. Right now. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is there's tools that are improving constantly in order for us to to use them in a more secure manner. Sync.com the same thing as Dropbox, except it's encrypted. Signal, Telegram, both just as easy as using messaging. I guess as you look forward, my hope is that these tools continue to become better and better developed. And people, once there's very little price to switch over to something private, I think people will.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. And it just comes down to, yeah, developing it so that it's more user-friendly and, yeah, more convenient. I mean, do another innovation from the cypherpunks by Julian Assange, WikiLeaks. And what he was trying to do was create like an anonymous platform for people like Snowden or others who are seeing, you know, corruption in the government or even in private corporations, whatever it is, and giving them an outlet to anonymously whistleblow essentially, or release videos or or evidence through WikiLeaks. And I think he's in prison. He's going to be killed probably or, or something like that. But
1: yeah, hunted down, brought to justice. Yeah.
0: And the other sad thing about that is everyone else just goes about like their lives. And there is no question really of, oh, you know, should he be imprisoned? Question mark at all. Should he be in prison at all? Should he go to trial? Is he, what is he guilty of? What is he guilty of? Well, he's guilty of giving people information that the government said they're not allowed to have. Kind of like the encryption guy who gave people PGP. Right. He's giving people access to quote unquote secret documents and maybe take the quotes off. Fine. Dude, didn't Hillary Clinton give out secret documents to people? I know in a presidential debate that she told people what the response time is when the president orders a nu- nuclear attack. She said it on a presidential debate. What is it? <laughs> it's been it's been memory hold from the internet, which is impressive, <laughs> especially because it was in a presidential debate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. I just think it's kind. Of, I mean it's kind of a joke. I guess the point I'm making is and it's really sad is people are so busy with their lives, their work, everything else, you know, that they have to deal with that you don't really have time to go and investigate every single thing that may or may not be right or wrong. You more rely you rely on the systems that are in place. You rely on the government to be honest. You rely on the court systems to be honest and all these things, just like with the Epstein case. The difference between the Epstein case and the Julian Assange case is the Epstein case is at least getting attention from a decent number of the population. I don't know if I would say that it's getting a lot of attention from mainstream media.
1: Oh, it's getting memory hold. <laughs> yeah,
0: but at least people are like aware of that one. Whereas, I mean, with the Julian Assange, they're just going to say, oh, cyber terrorist. That's probably going to be the label. And then anyone who doesn't know anything is just going to, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's all they know about it. Right. That's what they've been told, which, I mean, it just sucks.
1: I mean, it also goes into like your view of the government and should they be able to have, like, to what degree can they keep things secret? Should we have a massive network of spies and secrets and levels of clearance and hundreds of billions of dollars that flow into programs that we have no idea what they do? (laughs) Doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds dystopian. Sounds pretty dystopian. <laughs> like if you can't see where that leads. I'm sorry. And all because of what? And the justification of this is what? Like some dude hiding out in the mountains of in a West cave.
0: Pakistan? It's a caveman.
1: Right. <laughs> And he's building an ICBM in the cave. He's, he's, dug out, he's dug out the core of this mountain and he's, you know, in there with a friggin' chip robotic factory <laughs> constructing an ICBM that's going to be launched at Houston, Texas and wipe out uh, millions of Americans. I don't think so.
0: Here's another good uh, quote by Tim May that I think encapsulates kind of what like the cypherpunks believe. This was one of the er- uh, pretty early contributors to the mailing list. Anyways, Tim May says, if government can't monitor you, it can't control you. Fortunately, individual liberty can be assured by something more reliable than man-made laws. And that is the unflinching rules of math and physics existing on software that couldn't be deleted. Politics has never given anyone lasting freedom, and it never will. But computer systems can.
1: That pumps me. Up.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs> and actually, so in the same place I got this quote, was an article I was reading. They were also talking about what was the mandatory like reading list or maybe just highly recommended reading list for the cypherpunks. And they had three books on there. Uh, Atlas Shrugged, which we've already talked about. The Shockwave Writer, which I'm reading now and I'm almost done and it's really good. Highly recommended. And then the next one on the list is True Names or True Name, which I need to read. But yeah, if you're interested in, in this whole movement, check out those three books.
1: So what do you think the frontier of the cypherpunks is now? What are the big missions hanging out there? So obviously digital money was this thing forever that they wanted to create. And finally we have that in Bitcoin and it's on the ascent. What is the next battle for them to win? Yeah
0: I hate to say it's kind of like what we talked about in our first episode. if you remember maybe first and second episodes, I don't want to sound like a shit coiner when I say this, but I think it's this idea of getting rid of the middleman in all these different platforms, right So we talk about Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, where, you know, you go to that central server or location or whatever, and then you're rerouted to whoever you're actually trying to connect to or or send images to or text to or whatever it is, or purchase and sell to if you're using Amazon. And so I think the next kind of hurdle for the cypherpunks to, to get us over is to decentralize All of the services that we regularly enjoy. And instead of that happening on Ethereum or any of the shit coins, I I really think it's going to be like a layer two, maybe layer three, whatever solutions and applications on top of a fundamentally sound money, aka Bitcoin.
1: So here's one other thing I was thinking of It's some of it could just be empowered by Bitcoin and we haven't like seen that ripple out yet. One example Sailor talked about in a recent interview was for social media like Twitter, there's all these bot accounts. When it comes to politics, who knows how many of the likes are actually organic? Who knows if they're just paying people in India to press like on the video or whatever? Mm-hmm. Who knows if they're just nudging the CEO of YouTube or Twitter to... Pranash or whatever your name is, bump up the amount of likes on this. We need to show some support or take away the dislike button, which recently <laughs> happened. So, you know, it's not all encompassing, but some of the issues could be solved with Bitcoin, I think, today. Like one example he's, he gave about the bots on Twitter was the fact that if you had to put like a 30 sat or whatever deposit down on an account. So you just deposit the 30 sats. If you ever want to cancel your account, you can pull it back out. But if you get banned or like violate the rules of this, then we're going to take the 30 sats. So then people who are making bot farms and impersonating other people and stuff like that on Twitter, those people obviously can't continue to do that. So it makes it a more honest place. Now, I'm not saying that that specifically would make these systems more cypherpunk but that's just like an example of like now that there is an internet money maybe all it has needed this whole time was some sort of uncensorable incentives layer in order for some of these other things to be built.
0: Yeah, the only problem I see with, uh, I mean yeah, I I can see what you're saying. The only problem I see with what you just described is, I mean some I guess central authority. What would the system look like that's deciding that someone's a bot and banning them? I think we can all identify very quickly like, okay, this is a bot. Usually their name is sometimes their name is bot
1: <laughs> depending <laughs> this on the is michael sailor bot and if you send me one bitcoin <laughs> i'll send you back five <laughs>
0: right but who gives that authority or is it just community driven or whatever that looks like but that's i think it's an easy solution to you know overcome or something that can be overcome it's not necessarily a
1: so when i see the next frontier i think of it as social media dude because when i think about the internet and where people actually spend their time i think it's on social media whether that's Instagram. Instagram, Facebook Twitter and that's the frontier that we just continue to lose ground on I mean just a few weeks ago Jack steps down and now we've got sensor McSensorface as the CEO so to me I think like the biggest advance would be a decentralized central media social media the other alternatives haven't really been a good engineering solution telegram i don't like love spending time looking through mastodon mastodon hard to hard to run hard to get set up on zion does and most importantly all of these don't have network effects right you're gonna go to the same social media everybody else is going to yeah i think for
0: that reason you just described social media is going to be a hard one You look at the cypherpunk projects, and it's not really made for... It is made for everyone, but 98% of the population or whatever it is doesn't really care to use it. And so if you're talking about something, and examples of that would be like PGP. Most people don't know what, PG- I just found out about PGP, right? And maybe it's 20 years old and that's why. But even when it was released, I don't think, you know, the everyday person was like, oh yeah, I got to start using PGP. And you could say that I think about most of their innovations. I mean, even Bitcoin isn't, like that is their blockbuster, you know, release. And it's at like 2, 1%, a little bit more than 1% adoption in the world or whatever it is. And how much of that is just people looking to like make a quick buck and who don't actually want to adopt it as, you know, long long term as a form of currency or whatever else. I, I guess the point I'm making is I don't see the cypherpunk innovations as being things that are going to be mass adopted for a long time or, yeah. or implemented. So when you talk about needing a social media platform, I don't see it until the other social media platforms get far worse than they are now. I think it requires too much adoption for that to be like the focus of the cypherpunks. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: No, I think you're right in a lot of respects. And the fact that like generally they're more focused on cryptography, right? Like that's the whole movement the cypherpunk, you know. And so, you know, more on the back end, more on the math, science, information science, data storage and retrieval, that type of thing, server side, rather than, you know, what we would think of as the front facing user interface design of a social media and not into like starting companies It's more of a form of activism. Well, if I can
0: jump in for a second, when we're talking about or asking the question, like, what are the cypherpunks going to do next? I think we need to keep in mind, like you said, they're more into cryptography, privacy, and in addition to those things, like maximizing individual liberty, right? They're very libertarian. And so they want fewer controls on the market, right? Generally, like they want a free market. And that's of everything, not just of stocks and stuff. They want a free market, the entire economy. They want to get rid of middlemen. And that's why I actually think that the next big project that they're going to be working on that's going to have a huge effect is what we're already seeing with like podcasting 2.0, where you're able to get rid of the middleman and the the person listening is able to directly sponsor, however you want to look at it, the the podcaster. Um, And we've talked about this idea with artists too, right? Whether art, music, whatever it is they're producing, producers getting directly in touch with the consumer and cutting out one or multiple middlemen. I really think that's the next big project because that, I think, is where like our society or people within the society are losing a lot of their liberty or ability to act. And there's no there is no alternative to it. You know, if you want to do this, you have to go through these middlemen or if you want to be successful in that, you need to go through these middlemen. And they control, and that means if you're going, if you're going through these central entities, right? These massive corporations. I mean, the massive corporations at this point they are the government. I mean, it's one in the same kind of. They're not the same, but
1: right. It's just another department. Exactly.
0: Yeah, we got the department. Of- got <laughs> department the dep- of Facebook. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> And I, I your think Pope's.
0: that's a, I think that's a very common like viewpoint of libertarians to see it like that. And that's why I think that their next target is gonna be decentralizing the massive corporations, de-empowering large central entities and re-empowering individuals.
1: Right. And yeah, I guess I would say to your point, decentralizing all these things is in the cyberpunk ethos. Tor is in the cyberpunk ethos. BitTorrent is in the cyberpunk ethos. Bitcoin is. Certainly some more so than others, like Bitcoin squarely within exactly what they believe, um, whereas some of the others can stray a little bit further away. I guess the main thing that you're looking at from the cyberpunk perspective is the fact that the government can have all the secrecy, all of these intelligence and legal assets that are able to pry into your life and deny you privacy. And I don't know if that has been a battle we've been winning over the past 10, 15 years. You know, you'd have to be a lot more knowledgeable than I and understand how secure a lot of these things are.
0: Well, let me come in here then. Uh, I mean, I think we are winning. You
1: think we're winning? Anyways, go on. Okay, well, thank, (laughs) thank you for that. But obviously, I want us to win, right? And I obviously want us to see the day where the individual is able to keep their information private and selectively reveal themselves to the world. So if I want to get into a bar, I just show them my date of birth. I don't have to give them any more information than that. I sign up for some service. All I have to give them is an email, so on and so forth. But And on the flip side, the government can't spy on me. And then I would even argue that it's part of the cyberpunk ethos that they should be more transparent. Like the government should be more transparent. I mean, that's WikiLeaks. That's the distribution of encryption technology. That's a bunch of other causes that have been championed throughout the time. So I guess what I'm asking is, do you foresee in the future a point where the individual is empowered and private and the governments are more transparent than they are right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're asking me if I believe that this movement can accomplish what it wants to. And yes, I think it can. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it can. I question whether people will have to be burned or people will have to undergo a crisis in order for them to want privacy, right? Do we have to face a political purge of anybody that's, you know, (laughs) say, say that everybody that was voted for Trump was purged, right? And they went into your records. And now it's harder for you to find employment because of this and that, I guess, does there have to be a situation where, or let's say, for example, with the vaccination campaign, right? Let's say that they shut off people's, bank accounts or something like that if you're not vaccinated, right? Whereas you as a person would rather selectively reveal the information, if at all it shouldn't just be in a database of name, vaccination status, right? And then bank account number. I guess my main question, my main thought moving forward is do we have to face an event where the necessity for privacy is just brutally demonstrated in order for us to move towards those solutions? Because it doesn't seem like consumers want a lot of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say no, I don't think it really matters. I think obviously, if we have an event or a scenario like what you're describing, it's going to rapidly increase the adoption, right? Just like, the government printing money rapidly increases the adoption of bitcoin the government taking away rights and liberties and and violating people's privacy more and more is going to push people towards a privacy focus but no what i see the cypherpunks doing is releasing knowledge information that can never be like undone they're building a fortress right and They're releasing open source everything. They're releasing it all. And once it's out there, it it can't be forgotten all of a sudden. They've got an open source operating system. They've got an open source coding language, right? You don't need to pay money to use Python. They've got open source encryption, open source money. They've got hundreds or thousands of other open source projects that I'm not even familiar with. And I think that no matter what happens, even if the government kind of lets off on the private, like we could say the government starts acting completely benevolent, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. And I mean, you talk about something that's charitable, in my opinion, to society. I mean, these people are providing something that's you can't put a value on. It's invaluable to the world when they release it open source and they show everyone all the work that they did. They're not getting any money for it. I mean, it's way more beneficial to society than anything, you know, anyone with a bunch of money is giving, you know, donating to charity or whatever else.
1: Let me ask you this. As you look forward through time, you have open source, which has some sort of level of competence. You can find an open source... 3D design software and make something and get it and make it with a 3D printer that's open source and so on like everything out there has an open source alternative generally the open source alternative is a lot clumsier and more difficult to use and so forth than the official the the business that's doing that and that yeah. makes sense right do you think that we will always do you think the structure of the economy and how we function will always be this thing where the open source alternative is 80% of the solution and then the companies improve on that open source product for that other you know 90 100% and that's that's the frontier that is always increasing and then open source alternatives are always filling in those voids and also like following on that frontier behind it a little bit
0: yeah I mean maybe that's the case I don't I don't know I think you look at some programs. I mean, I've heard people complain about like newer models of of programs because they've got all this additional complexity. You're able to do so much more. With all the additional, you know, capabilities, you have all of this complexity. And I've heard people even say, like, why'd they change this? It was good as it was, and they want something simple and lean and mean. And I mean, maybe that's what the difference is between these companies versus, you know, open source. Just like with the government or a corporation, right? I guess corporations are a little bit more adaptive, but generally speaking companies are incentivized to always improve something and make it better, which for depending who's in charge and who's driving you know, the product development, generally, it's going to be adding more features, adding more things on. It would take a very rare individual, I think, who to be product developer and say, hey, we need to make this clean. And so we're going to cut out 30% of the things that we offer or we're going to whatever we're going to do. I don't see a lot of businesses doing that, even though a business might be more successful by trimming off crap that people aren't using right based on data or whatever else. Right. I don't really see an executive or product manager saying, oh, "Okay, yeah, let's do the analysis and get rid of this." <laughs> and and that getting approved.
1: Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at is because, because like you imagine a situation right now where you decided, okay, I'm going to opt for the most privacy possible, right? So I'm going to use Tor browser, I'm going to use uh, Linux, I'm going to only use, you know, Calix OS or Graphene OS, whatever phone is open source and the most privacy produ- preserving, you're only using Signal and Telegram and so forth. You go through all of that, right? What would you say your technology level is equivalent to? Like roughly like 2005? Like <laughs> you're only like, what, 15 years behind where we're at right now, right? Like you objectively, you can do more things than you could do in 2005. You have a smartphone, you can browse the internet, you have access to all this information. So I guess in my mind, one thing that I think about is the technology is increasing exponentially. And I think that the open source technology is shadowing the frontier of all technology by whatever that percentile is. Like it's 80% of what the cream of the crop is out there Mm -hmm. right now, right? But that exponential increase is passing what you want as a consumer. So imagine a case like right now, like you may not have thought the internet was too bad to use in 2005, but it's going to get even better to use all of these other privacy producing options in the future. So I guess that's just one thing that I think about. Will we reach a day where it's like people are essentially living for free out Outside of, outside of like commodities are like real goods, right? Will people be living outside of that for free just with open source options? You know, why am I pay, paying for office? Why am I paying for this music streaming service? Why am I paying for, you know, all this other stuff? And of course, the answer is probably going to end up being like a lot of those things are going to be cost cost so little that people are going to pay for them anyway. But it is interesting to see this trend of open source develop and see how that is going to interplay with the economy.
0: Well, I think those things are going to be free. I mean, right even right now i don't know anyone that pays for like microsoft office yeah i know businesses and then they give it to their employees but that's not you know an individual saying hmm i need to write and what what software should i use i'll use microsoft office <laughs> i've never heard anyone say that i mean if an individual is choosing they're going for an open source or they don't know an open source exists but
1: no, yeah. Another one I like to think about, and I think this is going to blow the doors off of all future progress, right? And that's device-to-device communication, right? Because we've been talking this whole time about like the, I guess we'd say like the protocol layer. Like who do you send your web traffic through? Like every, all these computers are physically hooked up to the internet. But what about what happens when your computer and my computer are sharing information through like a mesh network in the hardware world, right? And how does that change the web? Because I think that the next gigantic cornerstone of change for this whole movement is, you know, everybody has a phone. At what point do we have dev- device-to-device communication where our phones are acting as re- like relays for each other's? And also, it's more privacy-producing in that way because you don't know exactly how your signal is getting from one point to the other, right? Or who's requesting what information?
0: Yeah, I kind of see, and maybe this is out there, but I don't really think so. I see a world where, just like you said, you know, our phone is communicating maybe node to node or, or some other way where it's not all centralized. I also see individuals owning like their own private server, their own individuals self-custodying all this stuff instead of outsourcing it to a service. Right. And you can, the whole system is going to be set up on a way where, hey, all you need to do is buy a $50, you know, computer that can run a server. And you've got that next to your laptop or whatever your setup looks like but essentially and i think that's what i think that's what the cypherpunks are working on essentially the ability for everyone to be self-sufficient as an in, at the individual level and then the systems that the cypherpunks are going to create are going to enable us to i mean if i'm running my own server i can host a web page yeah and i can anyone who wants to interact with it can and i can block anyone who i don't want to have interact with it
1: you could receive your own emails at your own house <laughs> crazy <laughs> Yeah. I. Uh, you could even connect it to a printer and have it print out your email and then put it in a letter. And that way you just have a stack of letters instead of your email. What good would that do? Maybe some people like the tangible feeling of letters.
0: Do you have more you want to say about people liking tangible things? I don't think so. Oh, all right. Okay. You're not, we're not ready for that. I mean, it was kind of a joke. Oh, well, you've talked about wanting tangible things yourself, dude, like a bookshelf instead of your Kindle and a record player instead of your phone and Bluetooth to a speaker.
1: And I
0: forget the others.
1: Yeah, we need decentralized alternatives to, to those too. <laughs> All right. So I think, you know, closing out, are you going to do anything in the near future to become more cypherpunk? Yeah, dude. What's the call to action here? What is the call to
0: action? dude? The call to action is to learn how to code, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think dump big tech, dude. Go towards more self sovereign method. So I'm gonna be working on an open source phone, getting Calyx OS on there, just installed Linux on another computer, trying to work my way towards the self sovereign stack. Brant, you trying to do anything like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let
0: me, I mean, I got a long list here. I don't wanna take up too much time, but. Running a, you know, Bitcoin node, running a lightning node, getting this podcast specifically set up for podcasting 2.0. Respect. We are millimeters away. Millimeters. From, from the finish line. But we've got like a concrete wall <laughs> in front of us stopping us from...
1: What down is it? What down is it? We're on the goal line. What down is it?
0: <laughs> it's fourth down. It's do or die at this point. All right. Fourth and millimeters. But no, that's... We're going to be there. I'll be happy to announce that when we actually have it up. We'll talk more about it. Aside from that, I got to learn some more coding.
1: Cypherpunks write code. Join
0: us. Read the three books. True Names, Atlas Shrugged, Shockwave Rider. Learn how to code. Peace. Peace.